What's going on, Football MD fam? Welcome back to episode 49 of the Football MD podcast. I know, Dan, we're almost <laughs> at 50. It's crazy. We've made it this far. We've kept it going. Thank you guys so much for sticking along with us. Today, we have an action-packed episode for you guys after what's really been an action-packed week since the start of free agency. So we're taking a break again from our Under the Microscope series because we have so much news to cover. We're going to go kind of in a random order here, team by team. We're going to be talking about all of the most relevant free agency signings and I guess some not so relevant either. We're going to try and get you guys all of your information on everything that happened from this past week. Yeah, and as you said, it was a very eventful week. We have a lot to cover, a lot of exciting pieces. We'll try to get you guys not only informed on pretty much everything and be very thorough, but also, you know, talk a little bit about how we feel about certain things. We're going to disagree and uh, debate a little bit, so that should be fun for you guys. We're excited about this episode. We'll jump right into it. We're going to start off with one of the most active teams in free agency, and that's the Oakland Raiders. That was obviously to be expected, but we've seen that come to fruition. And I got to talk about the huge signing in, of course, LaMarcus Joyner. That's right, people. Probably the biggest (laughs) signing they made, honestly. Yes, LaMarcus Joyner, guys. He's. I really do like the addition for the Oakland Raiders. The Raiders needed help all over the defense, so no matter where Joyner ends up, he'll be a starter. He'll be an immediate impact on the defense. And as for the scheme fit, you'll hear me talk about it a lot whenever we mention the safeties. An over-the-top free safeties role really won't change much from system to system, so Joyner shouldn't be asked to do anything much different than what he was already being asked to do. The terminology might change a little bit, so that'll be a small adjustment, but for the most part, LaMarcus Joyner should remain comfortable in a similar role for the Oakland Raiders. Also being in a similar role for the Oakland Raiders, the new number one wide receiver, Antonio Brown, the real big signing that I'm sure you guys were really waiting for us to talk about. I'll let Mike Mike kick it off with the uh, Antonio Brown discussion. Yeah, and I do like this move for both teams involved. Obviously for the Steelers, losing a talent like Antonio Brown is never the goal. But when you have someone that's just not meshing with the locker room, when they're burning bridges, you have to get them off of the team. It's necessary for your franchise to be able to move forward. And then for the Oakland Raiders, on the flip side of that, signing a talent like Antonio Brown is never a bad thing. I think he's going to come in and make an immediate impact. I don't know if he'll be as productive as he was in Pittsburgh. Of course, that's just an ideal situation for any skill position player. But when you have a transcendent talent like Antonio Brown, it doesn't really matter, in my opinion, what situation you put him in. He's going to come in and make an immediate impact from day one. Schematically for football, I understand everything you're saying. I do have a couple of disagreements though. First off, I don't know if it's the best signing for the Raiders, just because clearly he's a me guy. He's about himself if he couldn't get along with the Steelers locker room for whatever reason. And bring in offensive weapons. We've had this debate before. I just feel like it's a win now move. I don't think the Oakland Raiders are really going to benefit from having an elite wide receiver. I don't think their defense is ready to win now. I don't think their run game is ready to win now. I don't know if their quarterback position is ready to win now. You know, like you said, Derek Carr has flashed at times and then he hasn't. Yeah, he's had some success with some high completion percentages, which looks nice, but there are a lot of dump off passes, not a lot of deep throws. So it will be interesting to see how he utilizes a player of Antonio Brown's caliber, of course. We saw with Amari Cooper. I'm not going to say Amari Cooper is Antonio Brown. I know Brown is the better player. But even when Amari Cooper was on the team, there were games where it seemed like Derek Carr just forgot 
that he had a first round drafted wide receiver on his team. So it'll be interesting to see how that develops and what their camaraderie is and how Antonio Brown really is able to impact this offense as a whole. They are absolutely building a roster. They have an idea in mind. They want to bring in players to make Derek Carr better. They want to make sure that they are building this team for the way they want to win. But I do question a little bit about the Antonio Brown move. He's also carries a high price tag. Does that really want when you're trying to build a team? Because Derek Carr is already getting paid a lot of money. So in my opinion, there's just a, a few question marks, but no doubt I commend the Raiders for making the effort to really try to build up that roster that has a lot of holes and needs building. Yeah, and speaking of dishing out some money, the Raiders also signed Trent Brown to bolster their offensive line, which I don't think either of us were surprised by that signing. The Raiders desperately needed to build up that oh, yeah. side of the field. You know, they have a lot of cap to play with, and they're dishing it out for sure. Oh, absolutely. And the one thing we said is when you start for a coach like Bill Belichick for multiple years, there's probably more to the story, but realistically he hasn't been very productive Trent Brown we think the Raiders actually overpaid a little bit but at the same time like we said you got to commend them for trying to bolster their roster and they have the money to spend and we're gonna move on from the Raiders now with us just talking about Antonio Brown we'll go back to his old team in the Steelers and we're not gonna really spend much time on them because all we're gonna say is if you look at their free agency strategy you know what their plan is going forward they did not sign any running back nor wide receiver with the loss of Le'Veon Bell and Antonio Brown, which tells you that they are confident in James Conner and Juju Smith-Schuster stepping up and being the guys for their team in 2019, which is really what we expected. But to see it come to fruition, the Steelers only signed cornerback Steven Nelson in the offseason. They let offensive linemen walk. They let offensive weapons walk. So you know that they are confident in the roster that they built and they are not concerned and they're ready to move forward as we are going to move forward. We'll go to the other side of the departure and we'll go right into Le'Veon Bell signing with the New York Jets. Yes, finally and hopefully we have a conclusion to the Le'Veon Bell saga. He is officially a New York Jet after signing a four-year deal worth $52 million. The big story here, he wanted his guaranteed money. He got $35 million guaranteed. I don't know what the Pittsburgh Steelers were guaranteeing him. Hopefully it worked Only out 10. for him in the end. Just $10 million? Just $10 million. Okay, so that worked out pretty nice. Yeah, that's Another $25 million. But I think this should certainly make life easier for quarterback Sam Darnold. And same with Antonio Brown. When you add a player like Le'Veon Bell that's had... 12,000 or more yards and 75 or more receptions in his last three full seasons. That's going to be a clear upgrade for your offense. And it'll be interesting to see how Le'Veon Bell adapts to this team, how he fits into the scheme. Adam Gase throughout his career has run a much slower paced offense than Le'Veon Bell's used to with the Pittsburgh Steelers. But I don't even want to look at that because... Adam Gase really hasn't had a player of Le'Veon Bell's caliber to get the ball to, especially near the goal line and in passing down situations. So it's not like he's not going to change his game plan when you get a new piece like this in your offense. No, you're absolutely right. And just a couple of notes on Le'Veon Bell. I really do like the signing. I mentioned when we were talking about Antonio Brown and the Raiders how I was a little skeptical of the signing because is are you a win now team? Do you need that offensive whip? Do you need that offensive weapon to put you over the top? Now the Jets might not be a win now team. But the way they are building their team, I like. You find the quarterback in Darnold. You make a conscious effort on the offensive side of the ball to improve on the offensive line with Osmelli coming over from the Raiders. Don't be surprised if they also draft on the offensive line. Now you bring in Bell. You're building the team in a way that I am a fan of. I think that you are bringing the right components together in the right order, and you're setting your team up for success. I'm not saying they're going to be a playoff caliber team this year, 
but I think they are improving and working in the right direction. And you touched on the offensive line a little bit, which does concern me for Bell's style of play. In Pittsburgh, he had the benefit of playing behind a very strong offensive line that allowed him to utilize his best attribute, his patience. He could sit back behind the line, wait for holes to open up, and then that's where he breaks off those big plays. I don't know if that's going to be possible in New York. If he tries to sit behind that offensive line, of course, they're going to draft some people, but you're relying on rookies at that point. I think he's going to get swallowed up back there. Of course, he'll still be utilized in the run game, and he's one of the best goal linebacks that we've seen play maybe in the last decade. So he'll still be plenty productive. It's just going to be interesting to see how he transitions to a completely different situation. I'm sure the Jets are in a much better position with him on the field, as they are with their huge defensive addition of C.J. Mosley from the Baltimore Ravens. C.J. Mosley is definitely a player I wanted to touch on for both the Ravens and the Jets. First off, the impact for both sides is huge. Immediately for the Ravens, not only did C.J. Mosley leave, but two other talented linebackers left as well, all in one offseason, and Mosley is, without a doubt, the most talented amongst the three. Not to mention, he's the middle linebacker, the center of the defense, and a four-time Pro Bowler. He will not be easily replaced in Baltimore. And as for the Jets, just the opposite. You bring in you bring in a player that's going to make just as big of an impact on the team as he did leaving the Ravens. At 26 years old, Mosley is in his prime and a four-time pro bowler who can play all over the field. Run sideline to sideline as well as any linebacker in the NFL. He can cover, he can play the run and make plays in the run defense, pass rushing, and coverage. This is a home run signing for New York. Don't get me wrong, it came at a steep price, but they had $105 million in cap space. No reason not to spend it. And it's the same scheme, 3-4 defense, and more than likely he will be doing a lot of the same things with the Jets that he did with the Ravens, especially being a true middle linebacker in the center of the defense. In no time, he'll be a team captain, he'll be the defensive play caller, he'll be running that defense, and he'll be the guy in the middle of that defense with Jamal Adams, which by the way, I'm a huge fan of the structure of this defense. I think, like I said, I love the way they're building the offense. I like the way they're building the defense. I think the Jets are doing the right things. And you mentioned just a little bit ago about some of the major defensive losses that the Ravens suffered this offseason. Of course, CJ Mosley, you have Zadarius Wright and Terrell Suggs all leaving, but they also made a pretty big signing in Earl Thomas heading over on a four-year deal worth $55 million. Of course, the big concern with Thomas is his health. He missed 19 games over the last three seasons 12 of those coming in 2018 but 28 career interceptions that's certainly something that's going to be valued especially playing in a division that has to play AJ Green and now Odell Beckham Jr. twice a year so I love the signing Earl Thomas heading over to the Ravens hopefully he'll remain healthy and be able to keep this defense afloat in 2019. Yeah I mean I don't have too many notes on Earl Thomas just because we know what you had he flipped off Seattle the, <laughs> the, at the, the very last time he was on their sideline so you knew he was leaving in free agency. You knew he was going to get paid. You knew he was going to be a huge impact as one of the very best, and in my opinion, probably the best safety in the NFL right now. Huge impact for the Ravens. You get, I would expect nothing but great things from Earl Thomas. What I'd be more focused on from the Ravens are, can you improve in the defensive front? Because you did lose a ton of talent along the defensive front seven. That's going to be more of the question on the defensive side of the ball for the Ravens, in my opinion. 
For sure. And then another signing by the Ravens that was a little bit overshadowed by the whole Le'Veon Bell saga was Mark Ingram. He's heading over to Baltimore, three-year, $15 million deal. And I think this is a great situation for him to make an impact. The Ravens averaged 27.6 carries per game to the running backs alone in the seven games after Lamar Jackson took over. Ingram's just a downhill runner that'll take advantage of what's blocked for him. But we've also seen during his time in New Orleans that he can break some tackles as well and be that playmaker to uh, pull off some big chunk plays that Baltimore really lacked in 2018. So I love this signing for Ingram. Yeah, absolutely. I I gotta say, I am a fan of Ingram not being in the NFC South anymore. <laughs> <laughs> of course. But we'll move right on to, you know, next to the Raiders, probably the two bigger... This might be the biggest move that come probably, this past week. Absolutely. Or the most surprising, at least. And we're gonna actually talk about these two teams together, because they did pull off Two trades separately, but they swapped a bunch of players, a bunch of picks, and that's the New York Giants and the Cleveland Browns. We'll obviously start off with the biggest name, and that's OBJ. I'll let you kick it off, and you let us know what you think about the Odell Beckham Jr. trade and and signing. Yeah, the biggest questions that I've been seeing going around about Odell Beckham Jr. is how he'll fit with this Cleveland Browns offense if he's going to get the targets that he was able to see in New York. And My answer to that is, of course, he's going to fit. First of all, when he was in New York, he wasn't seeing elite level targets. I don't think he ever had more than 170 targets in a season. And he's just a dominant wide receiver one. He's been that way every single year that he's been in the NFL. Now he rejoins his old receiver coach in Adam Henry, along with his college teammate in Jarvis Landry. I just think getting outside of the New York media for Beckham is going to be huge for his career, hopefully. And I think getting Baker Mayfield a target like Odell Beckham Jr., a weapon like that in the passing game, is going to be huge. Now, I've seen a lot of people, and you can let me know your thoughts on this. They're already marking the Browns for, you know, they're going to make a Super Bowl run. They're going to be a 12-13 win team. And all that stuff is possible. But I do want to throw a little bit of water on that because that is a very difficult thing to do. It's still going to be Baker's first full year as a starter. You have a bunch of new pieces that have to gel together. And it's going to be Freddie Kitchen's first year as head coach. So there's a lot of moving pieces to go along here. And it's not that the Browns haven't made some massive upgrades and look great on paper. It's just to really get that success to come. There's so many things that have to go right for your team. And it's tough to do that in the first year after so many changes are taking place on your roster. No, you could not be more right. And... You know, bringing in a player like that, Odell Beckham Jr., I said that, you know, it's got to be the right time with Antonio Brown and and Le'Veon Bell that, you know, when bringing in these skilled players, you want to be bringing them in at the right time. Well, Odell Beckham Jr., I do think this is the right time for the Browns to bring in a player of his talent and of his caliber to pair with Baker Mayfield because Baker Mayfield is a talented quarterback and they were much better this year than they've been over the past decade, so... Don't look at this as the same team that, you know, we've been looking at for the past decade. This is a new team. This is, you know, obviously, like you said, there's new moving parts. There's a lot of them. But in my opinion, this is a good move for them. I'm not going to say they're going to win the Super Bowl. That is too much. Like you said, I think they went up to like the sixth highest odds to win the Super Bowl or something yeah, like that. Yeah, a little crazy in my yeah, opinion. That's absolutely too much. But do I view them as a playoff competitor this year? I really do. I think they're going to make that step. Don't be surprised if they do. And it's not just the Odell Beckham Jr. trade. Don't get me wrong. You get a very talented player. And on the Giants side, they have their benefits as well. But for the Browns, for now, like you you brought in a player and you're bringing in a bunch of talent. You bring in Richardson and Olivier Vernon on the defensive side of the ball to really strengthen that defensive front. Like They're doing a lot of things that 
are going to bet benefit them. You know, it's only a matter of time before they have too much talent where they can't they can't be bad anymore. You know what I mean? Yeah, I think those moves for Sheldon Richardson and Olivier Vernon, you're gonna pair those guys on a defense that already has a player like Miles Garrett. And a lot of these guys are on rookie contracts. That's what the Cleveland Browns are doing. That's so impressive in my opinion. They they're not paying these guys a lot of money. That's what's allowing them to make these moves. And they still have a few years where that window is gonna be open for them before they really have to start finding out who their nucleus players are gonna be, where they have to decide who's gonna get the big money who they're going to let walk and how their franchise is going to go forward from there so this is a very exciting time to be a fan of the Cleveland Browns and to even just be watching it to see where this all turns out absolutely and I just want to ask you know everybody likes to know who won the trade so to speak quote unquote who won you know who got the better end of the deal so in the Odell Beckham Jr. trade who do you think took that win so from a talent standpoint alone, it's hard to say that the Giants won this trade. And that's just never going to be the case when you're losing a player, a generational talent like Odell Beckham Jr. So unless you're getting multiple first round picks, multiple Jabril Peppers, it's really tough to see that value coming back. But same thing I said for Antonio Brown. When you have a player like that that's just not meshing with your locker room, it's impossible for your franchise to move forward. So I get what the Giants did. They had to get rid of them just so they can move forward and focus on the players that want to be there. But of course, when you're losing a player like that, it's hard to say that you won the trade. And I just think we were talking about this before the episode. I just think the Giants kind of misinterpreted where they were at as a franchise. I think in 2018, they thought they were going to make a playoff run, had a chance at making the Super Bowl. And that's why they brought in a guy like Saquon Barkley. And that just wasn't the case. Things kind of blew up in their face. So now they have to backtrack. And, you know, this is just the growing pains of having to do that. So for the franchise, I get it. It was a good move for them in the long run, but it's hard to say losing a guy like Odell Beckham Jr. is going to be a win for your franchise. And actually, we agree on this one because, you know, we don't see exactly eye to eye as far as, you know, how beneficial it is, but when you talk about the talent on the field, undoubtedly, obviously, the Cleveland Browns bringing in Odell Beckham Jr., they're going to win this trade in value, so to speak. But, like you said, there's obviously benefits to every team. No team gets, quote-unquote, trade-raped. You know, they're professionals and they're not going to do that this isn't a fantasy football league they are going to make sure that the reason why they're doing something benefits them and you know now the Giants are looking at three picks in the top 40 of this upcoming 2019 draft and also projected to have 105 million dollars of cap space next free agency so they're definitely rebuilding they're going to be able to bringing a lot of pieces over the next two years that can set them up for a quick turnaround and a lot of success. This is the New York Giants, a very prestigious historical franchise that has had a lot of success and probably is going to continue to do so. So I don't doubt their motives or what they got out of the the trade, especially Jabril Peppers, who I think is a nice replacement for Landon Collins' departure in New York. But no doubt, in that trade, I would definitely give the Browns the edge by slight margin, bringing in Odell Beckham Jr. As for the other trade, the Giants sent Olivier Vernon over to the Cleveland Browns for Kevin Zeitler. The impact for the Browns, the Browns get a good pass rusher to team up across from Miles Garrett. I don't have a problem with them taking on the cap hit that Vernon carries because they have plenty of cap space available. A problem the Browns haven't experienced in a long time but might have to start worrying about. They do lose Zeitler who is a top guard in the NFL and this could be a huge loss for the Browns. They did draft Austin Corbett last year who is projecting to take over as long as the transition goes as planned. It will be a great move for the Browns but I definitely question parting with 
Zeitler, who is one of the best guards in the NFL, one of the most proven guards in the NFL, and bringing in Vernon, who really hasn't remained healthy. And as for the Giants, the Giants clear cap and move on from Vernon, who was a huge signing in free agency just a few seasons ago, but never was as productive as they needed and struggled to stay healthy. They also bring in a great productive guard who may not be young, but he is talented, battle-tested, and a huge upgrade for their offensive line. Not to mention a nice mentor that can show second-year guard Hernandez a thing or two. In trades, like I said, we all want to know who won. And if I would have to crown a winner, it would be the Giants. Don't get me wrong, I see this as a mutually beneficial trade, but I give the edge to the Giants for clearing salary cap and bringing in Zeitler, who is a better guard than Vernon is, a defensive end. So that's where I think the value for the Giants really gives them the nod. I also want to say, keep an eye for episodes closer towards the season where we preview all teams, break down where they're at at the end of free agency, at the end of the draft, to let you know what you can expect of the 2019 season. And something we're definitely going to have to talk about going forward with the Browns is they haven't experienced an issue with salary cap in a very long time. Bring in Baker Mayfield, Odell Beckham Jr. They have talented pieces on the offensive line and on the defense side of the ball and Miles Garrett and Denzel Ward at cornerback. They have pieces that they're now going to have to focus on paying and that's something that they're going to have to be more savvy with that they haven't had to worry about in a long time. Just an interesting storyline to keep your eye on. And now just to close out on this Giants talk, we mentioned briefly, of course, Landon Collins leaving New York. He's heading over to the Washington Redskins. This is a situation that really surprised me. I don't know why the Giants decided to let Landon Collins walk. I know that you spoke about the financial benefits of letting him leave, but this is just one of their better signings of recent years. He was a leader on that defense and the team really needed. And for the Redskins, I just think it's a great signing. I don't think that Collins will be the immediate fix to the Redskins secondary, but he should still have a sizable impact. I think that his ability to play in the box should complement the Redskins' strong defensive line very well and allow the team to be able to mix up some defensive looks, an area where they really lacked in 2018. Their defense was pretty one-dimensional. Their front seven was devastating to opposing offenses, but other than that, really not a scary unit. So I think this allows some more versatility to be in play for the Washington Redskins. As for Landon Collins, I would actually say it would have been detrimental, but bringing in Peppers goes a long way in patching this loss. Peppers can play in the box like Landon, is younger and has a lot of potential and is much, much cheaper than the outrageous contract Collins got in free agency. Six years, $84 million with $45 million guaranteed in the first three years. That's $15 million a year cap hit right off the bat for the next three seasons. That's something that the Giants were wise to avoid. Now from the skins, it was a lot of money, but I really don't mind the move too much. I really like Collins as a player, and if the Redskins want a fast turnaround, it's going to be on the defensive side of the ball. With a lot of talent up front, why not solidify that with Collins, an in-the-box playmaking safety who can really help up front and make your team tough to run against. The Skins had HaHa Clinton Dix playing strong safety last season, but left in free agency, so it fills that void that they needed perfectly, and... Collins doesn't have to worry too much about a scheme fit because an in-the-box strong safety is pretty much a linebacker who has to do a little bit more in coverage, and that's the only thing. It'll be interesting to see if the Redskins ask him to cover more, but besides that, he'll pretty much be playing the same role that you can expect he would play on any team, an in-the-box in strong safety, pretty much an enforcer. Staying inside the NFC East, though, we'll move right on to the Eagles. And the Eagles' big signing on the defensive side of the ball was Malik Jackson. As for the impact of the Malik Jackson leaving Jacksonville, 
It was a move that had to be done. It saved the Jags a lot of money, $11 million to be specific. And with a stacked defensive front in Calais Campbell, Marcel Darius, Yannick Ngakwe, and last year's rookie draft pick, Tavon Bryant, it was an obvious move. And then the impact for the Eagles is actually pretty huge because they lost Michael Bennett in free agency to the New England Patriots. And of course, they have Derek Barnett waiting to take over. Barnett is more of a pass rusher, though than a run stuffer so bringing in Jackson makes a lot of sense let's dive into the intricacies of this move a little deeper Bennett is a versatile edge defender who can play both the run and pass at 6'4 275 pounds the replacement for the pass rushing abilities is Barnett at 6'3 260 pounds but being a lighter faster defense end Barnett won't hold up against the run so they bring in Malik Jackson to fill that void at 6'5", 290 pounds. Although he typically plays defense tackle, I'm sure he'll be moving all over the defensive line. But pretty much what I'm getting at is they replace what they had in Bennett with two different players who pretty much, if you took their averages of their height and weight, would literally equal Michael Bennett. And they also keep Malik Jackson in the similar 4-3 scheme that he's been played playing in for a long time with Jacksonville. The only thing that I believe is that they're going to ask him to play inside and out a little bit more often and be a little bit more versatile. That shouldn't be a problem for Malik Jackson's game. And then the second signing from this past week for the Philadelphia Eagles was wide receiver Deshaun Jackson. The 32-year-old receiver is heading back to where he started, and this is not a surprising signing at all in my opinion. In each of the last two seasons, the Eagles have paired Alshon Jeffrey with a speedster. They had Torrey Smith in 2017, Mike Wallace in 2018. And this move will allow them to put Nelson Aguilar back into the slot where he just wasn't cutting it on the perimeter. Now, I'm not expecting a huge statistical season from Deshaun Jackson, but I do like the signing. His presence will definitely impact the way the defenses line up and getting Carson Wentz that deep threat, that scorching down the field receiver is going to be huge to pair with Alshon Jeffrey, in my opinion. No doubt a great offensive move for the Eagles. I like DJX coming home to Philadelphia. I think that's a great move. And speaking about another Tampa Bay Buccaneers wide receiver departing, you had Adam Humphreys depart for the Tennessee Titans, a signing I know you're a fan of because I know you're a fan of Adam Humphreys. Yeah, big fan of Adam Humphreys, just a reliable chain mover to help the Tennessee Titans passing attack that's struggled over the last few seasons, ranking near the bottom of the NFL in terms of passing yards per game and first downs gained. So I think this could open up the field a little bit more, provide a few less stack boxes for Derrick Henry to have to deal with. Just a reliable passing option for Marcus Mariota, who's been pretty inconsistent as of late. And I know you also like the flip side of this move because it really opens up the number two wide receiver spot for the Tampa Bay Bucks. It's really been, you know, kind of like a revolving door. They would use Humphreys as a very reliable guy. Godwin was an intermediate route guy. And then Djax gave you that deep route across from Mike Evans. Now it looks like they're going to ask Goodwin to really be that number two wide receiver, which is going to give him huge fantasy value coming up for fantasy drafts when that's relevant. Yeah, definitely be ready to hear Godwin's name throughout this entire offseason for fantasy purposes. And I think I like the departures of Humphreys and Djax just selfishly from a fantasy perspective. I know that's not the point of this episode, but Godwin had 842 yards and seven touchdowns last year, playing on just 57% of the team's passing plays. So this is going to open up the door for hopefully great things, especially when you have a coach like Bruce Arians coming into town. You can expect that they're going to be airing the ball out and... You know, I just like where this could go for the young wide receiver. 
And another notable signing for the Tennessee Titans is Roger Saffold from the Rams on the offensive line. And realistically, the Tennessee Titans already had a very stacked offensive line. So just adding Saffold into the mix only improves a very strong position group for the Tennessee Titans. And we'll move right on to the San Francisco 49ers. They were very active in free agency. D Ford is probably their biggest signing. How'd you feel about the... well? D4 trade, then signing. They have to give him a new contract, but it was a trade. So how'd you feel about them acquiring D Ford? I love it. Of course, Ford had a big 2018, racking up 13 sacks, 10 forced turnovers, despite not even being fully healthy. So I think this is a great signing for the 49ers. They've been trying to address their pass rush for a few years now, and they can still add a guy like Nick Bosa in the draft, or even Quinn and Williams or Josh Allen to pair forward with Eric Armstead and DeForest Buckner. So I think we could really see a revamped defensive front for the 49ers. I love D Ford heading over there. Yeah, and in all honesty, I think it solidifies that they won't be drafting in the front defensive front for the draft I think they know that they have to draft a talented player at the cornerback position or safety because they struggle in coverage in 2018 but they bring in a pass rushing specialist in D Ford who had 66 pressures most in the NFL last year 13 and a half sacks the most of his career last year so D Ford obviously a pass rushing specialist going to give you that pressure going to shorten the amount of time quarterbacks have when they drop back also helping in coverage so a huge move for the 49ers and you know it's it's an obvious one because he really was one of the better defensive ends in football last year so a smart move for the for the 49ers huge loss for the Chiefs but what are you going to do when a player wants to get paid that much money they were smart to kind of get rid of him especially because it really was only one season of production he really wasn't that impressive beforehand yeah, I think he was good for like half of 2016, then he dealt with injuries. 2017, he had a down year again, so it still is an up-in-the-air signing. Of course, we don't want to just go off recency bias of 2018. On paper, it looks great, but yeah, we don't know exactly what version of D Ford we're going to get. Of course, injuries have been an issue there. No doubt, and it'll also be interesting to see. You know, he was playing on a team with such an electric, you know, atmosphere and just playmakers all over the field, so now he'll go to, you know, the 49ers who he'll probably be one of the leaders, one of the more productive players on the team, at least with that contract, that's what they're going to be looking for him to do. No doubt, I think it's going to put a lot of pressure on him to perform and he's going to have to rise to the occasion, so to speak. But Ford certainly wasn't the only notable signing for the San Francisco 49ers. They also took running back Tevin Coleman on a two-year deal worth $10 million. He's now reunited with Kyle Shanahan, who he played with for two years back in Atlanta. And I know that Coleman kind of hurt his stock in 2018 after getting the chance to showcase his ability and really not coming through once Devonta Freeman went down. But I do think that this allows the 49ers a little bit of wiggle room with their running back corpse here because they still have Jarek McKinnon, I know, but they can cut him before April 1st, before his 2019 salary is guaranteed. So I do think this allows, if the 49ers aren't sold on McKinnon, they can kind of get out of that situation. And if they believe in Coleman, they can plug him in for a workhorse role. And of course, they still have Matt Barreta to compliment him. Well, no doubt, don't be surprised if Coleman ends up being at the top of that depth chart coming into the season, just because like you said, McKinnon with the injury, I know they liked him and they brought him in because he was a good fit, but obviously missing out, you have to be available for the team to rely on you and if you're not then you know team can't sit and wait forever so they're gonna have to move on and Coleman was supposed to be the starter in Kyle Shanahan's offense when he was drafted before Devonta Freeman and if it wasn't for Tevin Coleman going down due to a concussion Devonta Freeman stepping in and having two back-to-back three touchdown games then Coleman would have been the starter in 
Atlanta, not Devonta Freeman. So Kyle Shanahan definitely is a fan of Tevin Coleman. That's the guy that he wanted. That's the guy who he brought in in Atlanta. And now he brought him into San Fran. So don't be surprised if Coleman ends up at the top of that depth chart. Going back to the defensive side of the ball for the 49ers, another huge signing, I believe, is Quan Alexander. I'm going to go into the impact for the Bucs as well because he only played six games last season, but overall, I think Quan is a pretty big loss for a Bucs team that doesn't have a lot of strong defensive players to begin with. Quan is a talented player and can and can move all around the formation. I believe the Bucs will feel him walking out, but the Bucs have a lot of work to do in order to turn things around, and a new regime with Bruce Arians means that there's all new personnel in the building. These are the type of things that happen when your coaches change because they're not responsible for bringing that player in, therefore they don't feel any loyalty to them. So a great player and Quan Alexander walks and the 49ers benefit. They get a very talented linebacker to pair with the young and promising Fred Warner. He gets paid and goes to a team with a lot of promise with highly regarded Jimmy Garoppolo. They have another top pick in the draft this year. As we mentioned, D. Ford, this coaching staff has a second year to become more comfortable in the situation. They have plenty of money to spend. Everything is looking upward for the 49ers. And as far as the scheme fit... For Quan, yes, it's the same scheme, but Quan Alexander has been a middle linebacker, and what's going to be interesting to see is Fred Warner has been the middle linebacker since Ruben Foster was cut from the team. So, are they going to move Warner around, or are they going to lo- or are they going to force Quan Alexander to learn a new role in their defense? Either way, two talented players. I think either are up for the challenge, but it will be interesting to keep an eye on as the offseason progresses and as we get closer to the. Um, regular season so yeah as i said everything looking upward for the 49ers but moving right on we're gonna start banging through these these signings we don't have as much to talk about because some of them are very obvious some of them are good fits but you know they're dominant players so we don't really have to talk about them we know they're an upgrade we know what's going on and we know we're a little pushed for time we don't want to keep you guys all day we know you guys have lives so (laughs) we will touch on the los angeles rams they lose LaMarcus Joyner. They replace him with Eric Weddle, possibly an upgrade. And the other big signing for them is Clay Matthews. And this just makes a lot of sense for the Rams. A team that's fell just short of a Super Bowl championship last season brings in two veterans on veteran discounts, not asking to be paid a lot. Two guys looking for a championship, fitting with a team that is looking to win a championship and gathering the refined talent to push them over that edge. So just... Perfect matches here and really not surprising. And now we'll go into a team that really didn't make the most impactful or most exciting signings this offseason, but we do have the Buffalo Bills. They brought in Cole Beasley, John Brown, and Mitch Morse to bolster their offense. And as far as the wide receivers go, I think adding a reliable option in the slot and Cole Beasley with John Brown on the perimeter to complement Robert Foster, who showed some consistency at times in 2018, I think that's going to be a big upgrade for Josh Allen. Now, the issue there is Allen completed just 52.8% of his passes in 2018. So, of course, he has to make some improvements of his own. But getting some better pieces in place there for him is definitely going to be an upgrade. And then, of course, Mitch Morse, one of the big knocks against the Buffalo Bills going into 2018 was the pieces that they lost along their offensive line. They're rebuilding some of that back now with a reliable center that's showed a propensity to be able to protect the quarterback over his career. So, not the most exciting signings, but I think some upgrades along the offense and another team that bring it brought in a viable starter on the offense line is the Packers with Billy Turner and that's a great move for them you always got to invest up front when you have a guy like Aaron Rodgers leading your team 
But the bigger signing for the Packers, in my opinion, was Adrian Amos. And Adrian Amos is one of the guys that really he makes or breaks your team. He got paid, and the Packers needed to do so. They lost Randall and Clinton Dix over the past two years, and that safety position hasn't been the same since those two guys departed. So they needed somebody to step in. Amos is a guy who should have never left the Bears, but unfortunately, when you build a team as good as the Bears have as of recently, some guys fall through the cracks. Some guys you can't pay. And Eddie Jackson was a pro bowler and a first team all pro last year in 2018. So obviously, he's the safety you keep. And Adrian Amos happens to fall through the cracks, but the Packers benefit keeping him in the same division and bringing in a player to definitely impact their secondary right off the bat with those young cornerbacks they drafted last year. Don't be surprised though if they pair Adrian Amos with a young cornerback in the draft who they can consider more of the cornerstone of their team. Amos could help bring him along and help him develop as a younger player. Amos as the veteran can be the more versatile option and fit in wherever they need as opposed to the younger guy that they bring in. But no doubt a difference maker for the back end for the Green Bay Packers, Adrian Amos, great signing for them. Yeah, and since we're kind of just hopping around here now, I'll take the liberty of touching on the Indianapolis Colts signing, wide receiver Devin Funchess. Um, I think we're both big fans of this move, getting Andrew Luck a big body wide receiver, 6'4", 232 pounds. I know Funchess, he's not great at creating separation, but he can box guys out and go up and make plays. And that's something that's really been lacking on this Indianapolis Colts offense. No, I'm not going to deny the fact that Devin Funchess has been pretty inconsistent and had his issues with drops throughout his time in the NFL. But Cam Newton, no knock against him as a quarterback. I know he's great. He's not the most accurate passer. 24.4% of Devin Funchess's targets throughout his career have been off target. That's the fourth most in the NFL. Now you get him a quarterback that can put the ball right on him. I think that's going to be a huge upgrade for his game. And speaking of inconsistency, look what Eric Ebron did last year. 13 touchdowns. He was inconsistent too. That was the knock against against him when he was with the Detroit Lions. Now you bring in another big body. They already have a strong offensive line, a solid, but I know it's not great, but solid run game. And now they're adding targets in the red zone. So I love this move for the Colts. So you go with wide receiver and I'll jump around to two teams that focus on just the opposite with two cornerbacks. And they pretty much swap, not in a trade situation, but the Texans let Kareem Jackson, veteran, 30-year-old, former first-round pick, walk in free agency. And he goes to the Denver Broncos and it cushions the blow of Roby leaving in free agency. And Kareem Jackson offers the versatility of playing safety and cornerback. So that's very valuable to the Broncos. And on the flip side of it, the Texans signed Bradley Roby who left the Broncos. Roby would have never been seen as a number one corner as long as he stayed at Denver behind behind Chris Harris Jr. So he goes out to the Texans. Although he's not very young at 26, 27 years old. But he's significantly younger than Kareem Jackson, who was 30 years old for the Texans last year. And he was the younger of the two cornerback options for the Texans. So they get younger and Roby gets to step out of the shadows a little bit and into a more premier cornerback position with the Houston Texans. You know, I think there's benefits on both sides, but no doubt I think the best look is for Roby, who gets a chance to be pretty much the guy now with the Houston Texans. And I'll keep it on the defensive side of the ball here with one of the more obvious signings, I think, going into free agency. That's Trey Flowers heading over to the Detroit Lions, and he's had at least six sacks in each of his last three seasons. Matt Patricia, he's familiar with Flowers from his time in New England, and now with Ezekiel Ansagan, Flowers will be the new centerpiece and a definite upgrade in the team's defensive front for the Lions to build around in the coming years. Sticking with defense, the Cardinals signed two defenders, 
who are definitely going to make an impact on their team, Terrell Suggs and Jordan Hicks. Hicks is interesting because he played middle linebacker for the Eagles, but he was projected he was projected coming out of college as an outside linebacker. So it'll be interesting where he fits because he's going from a 4-3 base defense with the Eagles to a 3-4 defense with the Cardinals. It'll definitely be interesting to see where he tra- where he transitions to if he stays in the middle or if he plays on the edge. Suggs is a veteran who's going to be a leader in the locker room and he returns home to where he went to college. They also signed Gilbert, former offensive lineman for, of the Steelers and I think just I think as a whole this just shows you the Cardinals are out there trying to acquire pieces to build a new team, which is exactly what they need to do. They have a lot of holes all over their roster. They need a lot of help. They have a long ways to go, but going and dipping into free agency is definitely in the right direction of what they need to be doing. Yeah, they're definitely not in a situation where they can solely focus on building through the draft right now. They need some guys to come in, make immediate impacts. That's exactly what they're doing. And I'll take it over from here. A guy that we probably should have spoke about a little bit earlier. This is a signing that I'm a big fan of. Latavius Murray going to the New Orleans Saints. He's going to be replacing Mark Ingram. I know from a talent standpoint, I would prefer Ingram myself. But Latavius Murray has produced when called upon during his time in Oakland and Minnesota. That was behind two lackluster offensive lines. He's always stepped up when he was needed. And now you put him in a complimentary role with a player like Alvin Kamara on an offense like the Saints. And I think Murray could surprise a lot of people. We know that Kamara's a stud, but he's really just not the type of player to get 200 plus carries. Even with Ingram missing four games in 2018, Kamara had just 194 carries on the year. So you bring in a player like Latavius Murray, who a lot of people might not know this. I didn't know this myself until I looked into the numbers, but he ranks fourth in red zone rushing touchdowns over the last four seasons. And since 2015, he's second in the NFL in rushing touchdowns. We know the Saints are an offense that's going to get near the goal line. And I think having just an extra piece to be able to punch it in, of course, Kamara will still get his, but just having that extra option, that extra level of versatility is just another plus for this already high powered offense. And you know, whenever it seems like a running back is hitting that perfect situation, a team loves to bring in a touchdown vulture for you fantasy lovers and fantasy haters because that's what Murray might end up being this year. He might just be that vulture who comes in at the goal line and takes some away those oh-so-precious touchdowns from Kamara. But another team that signed a running back this offseason is the Kansas City Chiefs, and they signed Carlos Hyde. And I'm not going to stick on it too much, although he is going to have a real legit shot at competing for the starting position with the absence of Kareem Hunt. But the more relevant signing for the Chiefs is undoubtedly Tyron Mathieu. And I'm surprised we went all this long and haven't mentioned him. He was a top-tier signing. But the reason why there wasn't much to talk about is because Mathieu is a versatile player. He can play in the box. He can play over top. He can cover. He can play run defense. He can really do it all. So the Chiefs obviously hit a home run with this pick. They get a great player, a playmaker, a versatile defender, an impact player, an immediate improvement to their very terrible defense from this past season. And when you have as bad of a defense as the Chiefs had this year, that's what happens. You let Eric Berry walk. You let D. Ford walk. You let Justin Houston walk. Because although you have all these pieces, they haven't been producing. They haven't been correlating to wins, so to speak. So why really stress over that? Let's bring in some new faces, some new talent. And Matthew is definitely a good fit for them going forward. 
For sure, and we know that Eric Berry, he is a very talented safety, but he hasn't been healthy for the Kansas City Chiefs. He's missed all but three games over the last two seasons due to injuries, so he'll certainly benefit the defense that ranked 31st against the pass in 2018, and like you said, with D. Ford leaving, Justin Houston leaving, the Chiefs defense is in need of a leader after those departures, and that's exactly what Tyron Matthews is going to be. And another team that's getting a new leader on their offense, this is the Jacksonville Jaguars signing quarterback Nick Foles to a four-year deal worth $88 million. They're definitely paying up for his recent success, and this should 100% be an upgrade over Blake Bortles, but we aren't sure what version of Foles we're going to see. So what's your opinion on this signing? In my opinion, you're signing him as a bridge guy. I don't think he's really deserving of the money he got. I don't think that he's going to be the guy. I think they're going to look back at this as, you know, he might be a little bit better than Bortles, but He's not going to correlate to wins, in my opinion. Yes, he had that good run with the Eagles, but the Eagles team was stacked. And so is the Jacksonville Jaguars, so maybe he gets lucky. I don't know. I could be wrong, but not the greatest signing, in my opinion. The reason why I see the benefit to it is because now you can draft a young quarterback, somebody that you are confident that you can develop into the more long-term option, and Nick Foles can act as that bridge quarterback. Yeah, I mean... Foles has showed the ability to ride a strong run game and be able to stay calm under pressure, which he's definitely going to need if the Jaguars don't bolster their offensive line. But one thing that still needs to be addressed somewhere at some point this offseason is their receiving corps. I know Marquise Lee, D.D. Westbrook, Keelan Cole, they've all showed some talent, but that's not going to scare away defenses and make you respect the passing game. So Nick Foles, he's going to need some more talent to work with, but an upgrade nonetheless. We'll see where they take this, if they end up taking a quarterback in this year's draft, or if they wait another year, that'll be an interesting story line to follow for sure yeah absolutely and in fact that's the exact benefit to him I think it doesn't force you to take a quarterback this year and find that quarterback that he's bridging you for right away because he's not terribly old at 33 he can stick around for quite a while before you have to move on so he does give you the option of evaluating the long-term drafts like next year and the year after that and who's going to be available in three years yeah, like and really be able to wait for your exactly guy. for the guy that you want to build the team around and make sure that you get that player and before we wrap up this whole segment guys i just want to say we touched on 22 23 or so teams to the other 10 or so teams that we didn't touch upon sometimes not being all in on free agency is a good thing it typically means you are drafting well developing well and spending your cap on players from your own program and more than likely the departures you face are just simply because when you do this at a high rate no team can afford to pay all the talent and all the talent that they draft so don't be discouraged more than likely if your team is not making big splashes in free agency it's because they're already built for success they either don't need it or they're terrible with their cat money and they really messed up. But hopefully, hopefully <laughs> you're in the former of the situations and your team is just already built for success. Like my Atlanta Falcons. And my Indianapolis Colts. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Oh, man. That's a homer ending <laughs> if I ever heard one. But yeah, guys, of course, that's all that we have for you guys on episode 49 of the Football MD Podcast. Thank you guys so much for tuning in. Of course, there's still some free agent chips that need to drop, so make sure you're following us at Football MD Pod on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook to get all of the up-to-date news regarding those signings that are sure to happen anytime within the next week or so. So make sure you're following us there, and of course, we'll be covering them as they come out on the podcast as well. So thank you guys for tuning in. Until next time, guys. Until next week, guys. Thanks again.